turn to, to Ephesians. That's where we're going to be this morning, of course. We're in this uh, series from death to life in, in the book of Ephesians. Um, if you're watching at home, uh, I'm going to be drawing on the screen some today, and so you may not see that at home. Uh, you guys uh, who are in person will, will only get that either benefit or uh, detraction, I, I suppose. Uh, but that's where we're going to be is in, in Ephesians, and specifically we're going to, we're going to look at um, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 23. This is Paul's prayer for you. Paul here is going to express his thankfulness to God for the believers in Ephesus. He prays for their growth in knowledge as well as obedience to Christ who is over all things. And so as we begin, I just want to ask you, do you need hope today? Because I do. Do you need some power today? Because I know I do. Do you need love today? Because I know I do. And I hope that you don't just need hope and power because the L.A. Rams are taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. And I hope you don't just need love because tomorrow's Valentine's Day. I, I hope that you need hope and power and love because you understand your need for them. Intrinsically, as a human being. And so Paul, in, in his prayer, this is, he's going to offer a prayer of hope and of power today. And so I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that you're listening to this because this is Paul's prayer for you. It's Paul's prayer for me. It's Paul's prayer for those who are in Ephesus, absolutely. But as we began this, it's a prayer for all of the saints of which we get to count ourselves if we are among the saved of Christ Jesus. Amen? And so this is an awesome thing. Paul, Paul uh, he, he goes from that praise into this prayer so naturally. Some commentators say that he kind of falls into it or stumbles into it or almost slips into it. I like to think of it, though, as, as Paul's praise. If, if you think of a good bath, when's the last time you took a good bath, right? Um, we blessed my wife with one last night, so that's why it's probably on, on my mind. I say we, my kids did, they're great. But uh, I think of this, this uh, where you get into the bath and it feels so soothing, and then that, that moment where you're kind of entering in, and then where you get to sit and you kind of feel everything kind of unwind. So Paul is praising God here and then slips into this prayer for his brothers and sisters in Christ, for those people who are in Ephesus. And so don't miss today that this is Paul's prayer for you. You know, sometimes we kind of offhandedly as Christians make that comment like, well, I'll be praying for you. I want to encourage you in something. Pray right then, if you can, if it's appropriate to. Paul prays for you. Jesus prayed for you. Drew and I, we pray for you. As Elgin Bible Church, as you as individuals, we pray for you. And I hope that you're praying for each other. And I want to ask you, let's pray together right now. God, our Father in heaven, it is before you that we come today. God, this prayer of this apostle is so rich. And it's not the only one like it in Scripture. We see these masterful prayers of Paul twice, at least, here in the book of Ephesians and in other letters that he has written. And so as we, as all of us, God, as we desire to have a rich prayer life, as, as there are days where sometimes we struggle with what to say or how to say it, 
God, we, we ask that you would keep scriptures like this in the front of our minds, in the, in the middle of our hearts, so that when we come before you, we might pray like this Apostle Paul. We also ask that, that Paul's prayer might be answered today in us. That in your grace and mercy to Paul, even across thousands of years, that you might answer his prayer. Not only in the lives of the saints in Ephesus, but the lives of the saints in this time period, in this nation, in this county, even in this room. We ask that in your name. Amen. So as we, as we look at this text, uh, the first text here is Ephesians 1, 15 through 16. And he says, For this reason, and as he has this here, I'm going to be underlining things for you, and we're going to kind of go back and forth. And so uh, he says, For this reason, and that should ask you, For what reason? What reason is he talking about there? Well, that's all of Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. And so I just want to take a minute. I know you have that before you, but we're going to read that all in one chunk because sometimes we break things up like we're going to do today and we, we, we miss the beauty of the overall text. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Remember that? Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, (coughs) according to the purpose of his will. I hope this week that you have reread over this section. Uh, A couple of you mentioned to me you re-listened to the sermon. That's great. That's good. And I'm glad that you're doing that. But please be reading over this text. It is so rich. I don't want you to miss it. To the, so he predestined us for adoption for himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. By the way, he says that three times in here. Uh, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. One another. Do you see that? He's blessed us with one another in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. In the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. We talked about that last week. Oh, God, we thank you for the riches of your grace upon us, which you lavished upon us in all wisdom, which doesn't make sense to us because it seems like foolishness that you would waste such riches and lavishing them on people like ourselves, especially somebody like me when I know my own heart making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Remember verse 9. We're going to look at that again here in just a little bit. As a plan of the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, there it is, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So remember, as we just read, all these doctrinal truths, all this deep theology that is woven throughout the tapestry of this 
run-on sentence that Paul has given to us, right? We have things like predestination. We have things like our inheritance. We have things like the salvific process. We have things like the Trinity. We have all of this, God's will. His, so, and there's a difference between his decreed will and then his, his uh, uh, acted out will. So his, his desired will and his decreed will. And we, we talked about all of that, I, I believe, last week. And so that gets us into this. For this reason, now back at the text in verse 15, for that reason, all of that that was just said ahead of time, and also all of that which he is about to say. So this, this term there is both a beforehand and after, as Paul's going to there. So, oh yeah, there's the button, erase all. Okay, so for that reason, because of all of that, and then also because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Which brings me to my first point, and then we're going to come back to here. Paul is teaching us that love and faith go hand in hand. You cannot have real love. Now, tomorrow, all of Americans are going to buy into the Hallmark tradition, and hopefully you weren't offended by that, but they're going to buy into this corporation-celebrated holiday of love. And we are going to be told to buy flowers for our wives and cards and candies and chocolates for them, or go out to dinner and spend all this money, and that may be done out of a real motive of love, or it may be done out of selfishness, seeking to just please the other person. What Paul is getting at here is that faith and love, real love, and real faith, they go hand in hand. And so as we go back to our scripture in 15, he says, for this reason, out of all that theology, out of all that doctrine that he just said, all of that, then because, because of those things, because of those things were incorporated into their lives, because those things were believed in their lives, because that is where their faith was found, he said, because of these things, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith and, uh, in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And I want to pose a cutting question this morning. Are you known for your love? Are you known for your faith? I mean, it, it is my prayer for you, for myself, for the ministry of Allegan Bible Church, that Allegan Bible Church and all of the individual saints that make up that body all the fingers and the toes and the eyelashes and the ears and all those things, the nose, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, right? It is my prayer, like Paul's, that people would know us by our faith and our love. Remember our slogan? Love acts. Love acts in the purest form in Christ. God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he had to act. Not that we deserved it. Because that's real love. Giving even in the face of not deserving. And so for this reason, Paul says, for this reason, 
of all that theology out of the gospel, out of the trinity, out of the predestination, out of the adoption, out of the inheritance, out of the, uh, the restoration of us to this holy, righteous God who before all things and above all things and through all things and to all things is that glorious grace for his praise. Because of this reason, he has then heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and in their love towards the saints. And so then because of that, he goes on and he says, Therefore, because of all those things, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You know, throughout space and time, men like Paul, Paul and men like Paul, they praise God for you when we live out our faith in love. You know, you, you, want, to bre- you want to bless grandma or grandpa who, or whoever began the work in you of being faithful witness of the gospel? Then be known by your faith and love so that their work is not in vain. You, you, you want to bless the, uh, the elders or the pastors of your church, whether that's here or where, wherever God calls you, then let yourself be known in your faith and your love so that their work is not in vain. You know, I guess every October is supposed to be Pastor Appreciation Month. Here's what you can do for me on Pastor Appreciation Month. Invite somebody to church and then take them out to dinner afterwards and show them the love of Christ and pour out your heart for God to them so they can see that, so they can hear that. That's how you can say, thank you, Pastor. And so Paul here says, for this reason, because of the truths of all of that theology, but also because you in, a, in Ephesus, because you have done these things and are, and are acting this way, Paul praises God because of their faith in Christ and because of their love towards one another. In fact, he says he has heard of it. And remember, this is 10 years after he's been removed. He's been chained to a Roman soldier. So he is getting reports from people. When people travel to him, as we read through Acts or through the other uh, letters that he has written, you know, people are being couriers and going back and forth. When those people are bringing word of these, this faithfulness of some of these believers who are in Asia, who some of them he has never met, he is so happy. He has to praise God. And so I think the application of this is thank God for the evidence of grace in his people. 
And so some practical things about that is, when's the last time here at ABC or somebody in your life, we have Facebook, we have all this technology where we can look up people who are, you know, our friends or our acquaintances and everybody has like 950,000 friends or whatever in their group. Uh, Some of those people might actually be your friends. Some of those people might have actually brought you closer to know God through your life. And so whatever the Holy Spirit's laying on you right now, I did this just this last week, and so I'm going to give credit to him right now. He's probably not even watching. There's this man named Brock Brockway. Yes, that's his real name. When I first became a Christian, I went to that church, and I said to the college group, I said, I need somebody to be my friend, or I know that I'm going to go back into this lifestyle. And Brock and two other men took me out to lunch that day. And they asked me my story. They told me theirs. And then they began to call me and ask me to come out to different things and to hang out with them instead of the alternative. And I wrote him on Facebook the other day because I was going through this. And I thanked him for his ministry in my life. And you don't know him, but you ought to thank him. Because he is one stone on the road which got me here. So if my preaching and teaching has at all ever been a blessing to you, then praise God for the faithful work of his saints in the life of Brock Brockway. So who is that that you should be thankful for? Who is that that you should thank and encourage? If you're anything like me, it's hard to see the work of Christ in you because it's a slow, plodding work. The sanctification process is a difficult one. Encourage someone. Encourage someone in the faith. Tell them that it is because of their faith and their love that you are praising God today. So for the next section, verses 17 through 19. So for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord, and your love toward the saints, I give thanks for you all the time in my prayers. And this is what he's praying for, all right? So that was his, his praise in, in his prayer, but then also, by the way, that kind of teaches us something about prayer, I think. Don't always come to God in prayer asking for stuff. Bring God some thanks. Bring him some praise. This is something I struggle with too. Often when I talk to God, it's always me asking for things and not enough is it just me coming and thanking him for the flowers or thanking him for the fresh air that we breathe. I digress. Verse 17. So he's going to now ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, which by the way, this is the only place that this is in New Testament, the Father of glory, And this is what he's asking for. This is what Paul is asking for, for you this morning, for the people in Ephesus this morning. This is what I would ask for all of us this morning, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit of wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of him. How does that... Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God... How unsearchable. There's a song that takes that scripture and puts that into song. I can't remember the... 
the artist. But this seems a little strange, doesn't it? Because didn't he just get done talking about all that theology and all that doctrine in verses 1 through 14? Isn't he ex- ex- assuming that, that they already know a lot of these things? That they already know God? But he says here that he wants for them may have, that they might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then this is why you need that. so that you might have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You see, you can only know God by divine enlightenment. Remember I talked about it just a little bit ago. I said, keep your finger on or remember verse 9. So Ephesians 1 verse 9 is why we read through that. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ. There are things that are spiritually discerned that we cannot know unless we have the Holy Spirit. There is things called general revelation. We see that in nature. And then there's special revelation. We can only have special revelation through the Spirit of God. We can only truly know God through the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, who has taught them all these doctrines and all these different things, his prayer for them is that they might have more light, that their hearts might be enlightened. This is really, this, this is this idea of, of having them illuminated, having a light shown upon them. And then he elaborates on that. He says, so that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe and according to the working of his great might? And so he breaks this into three sections there. He says, I want you to have your hearts enlightened, your eyes open, so that you can know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's one. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? That's another one. And what is the immeasurable power of his greatness? Those are three different sections there. He wants us to know basically three things about God. He wants us to know what the hope that we have. Remember I said, do you want hope this morning? Here, this is it. Knowing God more. Knowing God more fully. uh, Applying the things of Scripture in your life. Asking for the Holy Spirit to come and enlighten your heart. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? The love that he has for you. And then this hope, this immeasurable greatness of his power. This power towards us, who according for the working of his great might. And so you can know things about God without really knowing God. We can know things about each other. You can know things about me without really knowing me. You can know things about God's calling. You can know that it exists and yet never really marvel on it. You can have knowledge of God's riches. You can understand the concept but never actually make a withdrawal from his bank account of spiritual power. You can know some things about God's power. but never really experience that power in your life. 
And this is Paul's prayer for you. Paul tells us that not only can we only really know God by divine enlightenment, but he's going to explain what that looks like. And so the practical application of this is ask God for divine illumination. I wanted to tell this story. I, I, I talked to my, one of my professors at seminary, and I can't, I cannot find it. And so I don't know exactly the context behind it. So I'm going to give you the, the loose story about it. But back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I mean like Luther and the Diet of Worms. So like back in the day, okay? There was a theologian. And just like today, they had debate, except for their debates were probably better back then because I think people were more educated and could formulate their opinions a little better than they can today. I digress. Anyway, there was a debate. And so there was these two theologians, one who was kind of teaching uh, heresy and the other one who had the, uh, what we would re- refer to as a correct biblical doctrine. Okay? And the one was a very eloquent speaker. And the other was, was young and uh, not unintelligent, but hadn't, you know, made his way very far yet. And so this one was up giving a defense of why he believed and was teaching what he was teaching or whatever the case may be. And as he was doing that, the young man on a, grabbed a sheet of paper and was furiously scrawling things down on the sheet of paper. Just intense writing. And of course, the people who were in the assembly noticed, took notice of this. And then the young man got up to make his case. And his rhetorical argumentation was so profound that the case was closed, it was sealed, and the other man went home in shame. And afterwards, there were several people in attendance that wanted to know what was it that this young man had been taking notes of, what was it that he had written down on this sheet of paper to allow him the ability to defeat his opponent with such might? And they grabbed his paper, and all that was written on there over and over and over again was, more light, oh Lord, more light. Ask for divine illumination. Look, brother, sister in Christ, there are things that are difficult for us to understand. Yes. And there are things that we may never come to fully comprehend. But Paul asks for us. He asks for these Ephesians. who This is the Apostle Paul who has taught them. He says, do you want knowledge of God? Pray for enlightenment. Do you want knowledge of Jesus? Pray for enlightenment. you want knowledge of the gospel, of your inheritance, of the great power of God, of your position, of his rule, of knowledge of the bride? Pray. Pray for these things. Paul wants, and he has prayed for the saints in Ephesus, and he has prayed for us through this same spirit of wisdom that we might have an understanding of the hope which we are called to, of the riches of this glorious inheritance, and what the immeasurable greatness of this power is towards us. And so we should ask God for illumination. Lastly then, now, 
verse 19. I have 20 and 23 on here for you. Hopefully you have a copy of God's word and you can look at verse 19 as well. So this is what he says. He wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. And this is the context that he puts it in. So he wants us to know all those things, those three things, at least that he talked about. And he says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. So do you want to know what is the power of God? Well, firstly then, I want to take you back to verse 19, okay? In this section, right here, below that line is 19. We have here in the ESV this translation. A better translation for this particular passage, I think, is the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, which says this. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe these are in accordance with the working of his strength, of his might. What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Now the reason I think that's a better translation is because of these words. He uses words like power, which in Greek is the word dynamis, which we get the word dynamite from. He uses the word working, which is energia, which we get the word energy from. He uses the word strength, which is kratos. No, not from the video game God of War. If you're familiar, then slight rebuke, because that's a bad game, even though I'm guilty of playing it myself. Moving on, strength is kratos, which is exercise of control, and then might, which is, uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, I'm sure, but isis, I, not isis, uh, ichis, or something like that. There's, it's whatever, which is bodily exertion. So you have power, dynamice, which is great potential. You have working, energy, functioning uh, operationally. Then you have strength, kratos, which is exercised in control. And then might, however you pronounce that, bodily exertion. He says all of these four words to describe the power of God, all of those things which are immeasurable in his greatness, right? This surpassing in the NASB, all of those things find their full culmination in the work of Christ, in the power of the resurrection. You want to know the power of God? It gets no bigger. It gets no bigger than the work that he has done in Christ. By way of illustration for this, I guess to wrap our, our minds around it, maybe think about a bulldozer. This bulldozer has the ability, the capacity, and the potential strength of rooting out trees. All it needs is a competent operator. God, in Christ, does all of those. And he takes that bulldozer of the gospel and roots sin out from our hearts. 
and he says this is surpassing. And that is why you and I, and that is why Paul can say things like he writes in Romans 1.16 where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is God's power in you. Resurrection power. And, and you know me, I'm not a name it, claim it, you know, whatever guy, but here's what I am going to tell you. How often do we fail to claim this power of God in our lives? How often do we doubt this kind of power of God in our lives? Because if you're anything like me, I think you doubt that more often than what you should. See, just as it's possible when on a nature hike to go through a mountain trail and be so worried about making sure that you're on the right trail and the compass that you miss the majesty of the creation that's around you so we can know about the gospel of Christ, the resurrection power of Christ, his seated ascension power of Christ. We can know about all those things and yet we can uh, forget to marvel in our hope, which is our position in Christ. Because your only hope, my only hope, is in this power of God, which is in the position of Christ. And so praise God for Christ's exaltation. Because of that, we have seen the power of God to defeat sin, to defeat death, to conquer Satan. He now rules. There is nothing that is over him, and we will never be taken away from him. It is that same power of God that not only uh, created, but also sustains. It is that same power of God that not only saved you, but also sanctifies you, and will later bring you into the glorification of Christ. Love and faith go hand in hand, Paul says. This is what he prays for for you. This is what he prays for for the Ephesians. He said you can only know God by divine enlightenment. So he's going to pray for divine enlightenment. And we can pray for that too. And your only hope is in your position in Christ because of God's power over you. So let us also then have this prayer of power and hope. This is Paul's prayer for you. So I just want to encourage you, what's your prayer for you? Let us therefore pray for the Spirit of God, His wisdom and His revelation, that we too might be growing in the knowledge of the hope of God's call in our lives, the glory of God's inheritance that we have, and the greatness of God's power that He has placed in us through Christ Jesus. He is the vine. We are the branches. Let's pray. God our Father in heaven, we thank you for the unsearchable riches that you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ this prayer of hope and power that we have, that Paul has articulated on our behalf. God, we pray that our 